Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is here. We are in June of the year 2021. Happy Pride. Happy almost solstice. Happy Friday, of course. Today's episode is a little more on the PG-13 side than normal. Our favorite Orthodox Jewish sex therapist stops in to tell us about her new book, Sex Points. What I want women to leave feeling is that they have control over their sex life in a way they may not have felt like they had before. And then linguist John McCorder unpacks the history of some of the most satisfying swears. Fuck. Part of the reason that one has really gotten out there is because it's pleasing to say. It's almost like a good, good, crisp little piece of candy. But first, it's our panel on the week that was. With us are two excellent humans. First up is Rico Galliano, a writer and host of the new film podcast from the streaming service Mubi. It's called The Mubi Podcast. Rico, hey. Hello. I'm so delighted to be talking with you after many years apart. Many years, yes. And making her Nerdette debut, it is Araceli Gomez-Saldana, a reporter and weekend anchor at WBEZ. Araceli, hello. Hello. And I'm first-time panelist, long-time listener. Ugh. Love that. Okay, so this week, I think we should start with this entire, like, cyber attack situation. I kind of don't even know where to begin with it. But I guess we can start with JBS, which is the latest thing that was attacked. It's the largest meat company worldwide. They had to close down all of their U.S. plants because they got hacked. It could affect as much as a quarter of the U.S. beef market. And obviously, this comes three weeks after a ransomware situation at the Colonial Pipeline, a gas supplier on the East Coast, which, you know, fucked up gas supplies there. I don't know. This is one of those stories that, like, is not super on my radar, but probably should be because it obviously has very real repercussions. I'm curious if y'all are following it more than I am, Araceli. I follow it just because I'm in the news and I'm listening to it. And it's Mm. one of those things that... You know, kind of like the UFO thing a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, why isn't this a bigger deal? I mean, we're talking about pausing meat production in the U.S. I thought like yeah. Americans would flip out about this. And I kind of feel like, I don't know, like this is a really big deal. It's the future of how we're going to be attacked. It's going to disrupt a bunch of things. And I haven't been hearing much about it other than the news, basically. Yeah. What do you think, Rico? Like, is this something we should be talking about more? I mean, it probably is. I totally understand why people aren't, though, because, I mean, if anything has been proven over the last several years, it's that if something is happening slowly over time, we tend not to notice it. Or if it's not immediately (laughs) blowing our minds, we tend not to notice it, it seems like. And I, I also just feel like, in general, talking about hacking, it's this is one of those things where what can we really do? 
What can what can we right. as citizens do? We can't. I mean, nobody. I don't even think on the Republican side, people are like pro uh, people hacking into our beef supply. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what? I mean, it's not like we're going to vote for people who are you know strongly anti beef hackers. Like I think we're already doing that. It's just I also I feel like it's maybe a product of the world we're living in. There's going to be lots of hacking happening. We're living in uh, what do you call it, Johnny Mnemonic? The only way left is to hack your own brain. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to think about from the powerlessness point of view, because I don't know, I mean, I think about even like Congress, like congressional hearings about Facebook and like folks not understanding like Facebook's profit model and like, oh, we're we're supposed to get hacking? Like, yeah. I don't know, that sounds extremely confusing and difficult to wrap our heads around, you know? Yes, I mean, I don't, and I don't really know what can be done. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, Araceli, since you've got your head in the news. Yeah. Do you, I mean, what, is there something more that can be done? I would think that they're already doing as much as they can do because nobody wants to be hacked. Yeah, basically it's it's kind of like, oh, well, these companies have to do a better job. And like you said, th- this infrastructure is old. People are using old computers, old software. A lot of people that are you know doing this don't really understand it. And this is very sophisticated cyber attacks, like even like the top of the top. So I just feel like it's one of those things where, yes, there's like a powerless aspect to it, but also this is not a surprise. This is this was going to happen. Everybody knew that this was going to be the next, you know, guerrilla attacks or, you know, whatever they're called. So it's like, I don't know. I, I think people are going to freak out when they can't buy their burgers. And now all of a sudden it's going to be like, are we going to become vegetarian or like the <laughs> substitute meat is going to explode? I don't yep, know what's going to yep. happen. It's going to be the age of the impossible burger for sure. Yes. <laughs> Um, another story that I thought was really interesting and got a lot of like really fascinating uh, Twitter opinions is about Naomi Osaka. She's the 23-year-old tennis phenom who dropped out of the French Open last weekend. Uh, she didn't show up for a post-game press conference and then was fined $15,000. And she ended up just withdrawing from the tournament altogether, essentially because there was so much media hubbub around her flaking on this press conference. Um, she tweeted an explanation for her decision She said press conferences give her a lot of anxiety and she wants to put her mental health first. A lot of people had a lot of hot takes about this, some of which were not actually that hot. Um, So the Los Angeles Times put out an op-ed saying that she needs help and empathy. And people on Twitter started pointing out that, like, you know, she's an extremely successful, extremely wealthy athlete super talented like is is help and empathy really what she needs Hmm. um i get that point right it's like she could afford any care that she actually needs but i don't know i also feel like there's so much around like we have such a sense of ownership of people who are super famous and talented that you know it's like can't we just give her a break also i'm Mm -hmm. curious what y'all think araceli you are a tennis fan is it true yes i (laughs) love tennis. I love watching tennis. I've been playing tennis for a long time. I did not know that about you. Oh, yeah. 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 This is, I mean, there are, okay, side note, there were times where I had to be on air, you know, anchoring, hosting, and I would have my, like, iPad watching the Grand Slams, <laughs> you know, as I'm working. Yeah, I've, I've taken pictures of that and not showed my bosses, of course, but... <laughs> Definitely. That's me. That's me. Like, and because, okay. like, sometimes, you know, they're so early in the morning, too. So it's like I'm already up, so I can totally watch them. <laughs> yeah. This is where your pledge dollars are going, radio okay, people. Okay, yes, good, exactly. good, good. Anyways, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan. 
I when I saw this kind of happening, you know, I saw her post on on Instagram and I knew it was going to be a big deal because tennis is one of those sports that's so traditional and so rigid. And, you know, everybody follows the rules. And if you don't, you really get penalized for it. And so when this happened and everybody reacted the way I thought they were going to react. I think we just need to pause and remember she's 23 years old. Mm -hmm. She's a phenomenal athlete and she's she's great. And she doesn't like doing these like big press conferences. And she's talked about her mental health in the past. She talks about how she's like, oh, I'm I'm weird. I'm quirky. Like I'm quiet. You know, she's an introvert. So I can't even imagine what that what that's like for her and for her to put her whole life into tennis She's I mean, think about what she's had to give up to be Mm -hmm. this phenomenal athlete and be this good. And then for her to say, I need to take a break. This is not good for me, not good for my mental health. And for all, you know, for the tennis association and the tennis gods, basically, to be like, no, you're doing (laughs) it or else, you know, and then she she called her bluff. And I think she's winning in this battle. I I think it's not over, but I think she's winning. Yeah, it does seem like uh, in the media battle that she's definitely um, coming out on top. I agree with you, actually. I'm going to take the very quick uh, devil's advocate position, which is that you could argue that this is part of what she's being paid for, is that, you know, part of the job Mm. is talking to people afterwards about what she does. On the other hand, though, even given that argument, there are endless numbers of comedy sketches about how nothing is really ever really achieved by a sports press conference. Like, when was the last (laughs) sports interview that really yielded some golden diamond of a quote. And if it does, that's the big deal. It's like, oh my God, somebody said something interesting in a sports press conference. I can't believe it. You know, it's funny you say that, Rico, because since Naomi dropped out, Venus Williams did a post-game presser and she kind of responded to Naomi dropping out. And it's actually a pretty great quote. For me personally, how I deal with it was that I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. So (laughs) no matter what you say or what you write, you'll never light a candle to me. So that's how I deal with it. Um, But each person deals with it differently. I mean, that is fire. You got to admit. (laughs) And, you know, honestly, I think that there is this is a good way to think about how the press is behaving towards athletes, pro athletes. Mm -hmm. You talked about ownership, Greta, I think there's a lot of like, you owe me this because we watch you and we put you on top. And, you know, that's not how it works. And I would like to remind everyone that when somebody gets hurt on the court, on the field, we all stop. All the players take a knee. We are very worried about this person because they broke a leg or they took a hard Mm -hmm. hit. What about mental health? She's literally saying, I'm worried about my mental health. I have depression and we are just going to penalize her for that. And we're like, well, well, well. Yeah, just because we're uh, on Nerdette, I'm going to throw in uh, maybe some uh, helpful viewing on this. Um, Bjorn McEnroe, the dramatization of the rivalry between those two, actually surprisingly Mm. good movie and gets into the difficult psychological backgrounds of both of those characters. It's really fascinating. First out is McEnroe. The crowd is brewing. That's a first and memorable final. Here he is, Bjorn Borg, the Emperor. This court belongs to him. The final we've all been waiting for. Borg, a legend in his own lifetime. Tremendous pressure on him today. He's won it four times, but the fifth time, I'm sure, will be even harder. So 
something that I thought was hilarious this week is actually a post that went extremely viral on Instagram. It's a video of a chick in Southern California who saved her dogs in their backyard from a mama bear and her cub by pushing this bear off of the side of a fence. It was insane. I sent you the link for it yesterday. Rico, I know you have opinions. Had you seen it before I sent it to you? I I had not. (laughs) I believe my response to you via email was WTAF, and I bolded (laughs) and underlined it. You um, did bold and underline it. It is an incredible video. Um, I have to say, first of all, this is this woman is a better person and human than I. For those who haven't seen it, she is saving. I can't remember if there are children involved, but there are definitely a lot of pets involved. Like no, there, there are, pe- are. Yeah, I think there's like at least four dogs kind of running, and they're you know super excited and like trying to protect their home from this bear. And so it's like you know, yeah, it's high tension. For yes, sure. and the bear is swatting at these animals, and the woman comes yeah. running through and basically pushes the bear off the fence i guess to save her animals if it was me and i'm really sad to say this i think my animals would be dead and oh, and, and the reason for this is that i saw the revenant everybody are you, oh, are yeah. you kidding me like what i'm sorry but I, i'm not going to run up to a bear and push it i'm not going to touch it i'm going to probably like try to i don't know after that bear goes away i'm probably going to change my sliding glass door to some sort of metal <laughs> panel with very heavy locks it, it it's crazy also where is she do we know where that was somewhere in southern california i don't know the town offhand that's where i, I live I, I didn't want to hear so that. you're like, where exactly? They're in your um, backyard. I do think one of the funniest things about it is like you can tell that she was so like that she did it without actually thinking. Because I feel yeah. like her reaction mm. right after doing it, she's like completely what? terrified and runs in the opposite. <laughs> and it's like, girl, you just took that bear out. Like, I don't know. I thought that was for sure the funniest part where she's like, oh shit. So yeah. when when I watched it, so I thought it was funny. But then I, you know, I like rewatched it and rewatched mm, it. Yeah. And the more I I watched Did you start it. to feel bad for the bear? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so first I didn't notice the little like cubs. So I didn't know it was like a mama bear, like oh, protecting yeah. her little cubs. But then also I'm like, the more I watched it, I'm like, doesn't it make it seem like the woman is horrible? Like, you know I mean? it does. <laughs> it does. There, There's like a holy shit good for her. And then like, oh, but that poor bear, like that sucks. Yeah. I just, yeah. I do think that we got to put this in perspective. It's like bears are pretty heavy duty and it did not die. I think the woman, but I will say that the woman was lucky. Like how lucky is that? Anything could have happened at that moment. It was mama bear versus mama bear. Because of course, the pets, her pets are like her children, you know? So yeah. Yeah. She has four dogs. We know she's into it. Let's go. I tell you what, if you ever see me fighting in the forest with a grizzly bear, help the bear. Rico, Araceli, you two are the best. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So much fun. But I ain't even going to eat it. I fell out with fall. And if you're curious about what the amazing track is underneath me, it's a little freestyle from Mystical. Yes, the rapper did just say, if you ever see me fighting in the forest with a grizzly bear, help the bear. For links to both the freestyle and the bear video, check out the show notes in your podcast app or at wbez.org slash nerdette. Coming up after the break, sex and swear words like we do. Get it up, daddy. Get it up, daddy. Get it up, daddy. Shine up. Power up, Get it up, Daddy! Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. On the next two segments of today's show, a sex therapist is going to talk about some sex stuff and a linguist is going to talk about some of the most profane words in the English language. Yes, those words. So consider this to be your content warning. There's going to be some pretty adult topics and adult language ahead. So I hope you're an adult. Either way, forge on at your own risk. Every once in a while, someone will ask me who my favorite nerdette guest has been, which, you know, is kind of an impossible question. Like we have more than 350 episodes of nerdette. But I will say one of the most interesting interviews we have ever done, hands down, was with Batsheva Marcus, an Orthodox Jewish sex therapist. We talked to her back in 2017 about her doctoral thesis, which was all about vibrators, and her work as a sex therapist at Mays Women's Health in New York. Batsheva has written a new book. It's called Sex Points, and it's all about how everyone can have good sex, even if it doesn't come easily. And she is with us now. Batsheva, hello. I am so excited to be back with you guys. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to have you. So I think we should start with probably an easy one. Who is this book for? I'm thinking especially about myself who has been living alone for the last year and not having any sex. I assume this book is at least for couples. So I would say to you, that's not good, Greta, if you haven't had sex because well, sex you for know, one- it's a pandemic. Sex for one is sex and we need to appreciate that. Oh, okay. Then I've been having plenty of sex. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> then I feel much better about it. And I, I, I would hope that this book would be for you as well um, because <laughs> I feel like every woman, really and truly every single woman deserves to have like a good sex life and not be told that her problems are- you know, just what happens to us as we get older. And um, the book is really intended for people who feel like they could use a, like a little help with their sex life if they're single or in a couple. I will say that there's a, probably a lot of advice in there for long-term couples because I think they have sort of their own unique challenges, but mm -hmm. I'm not really convinced it's so fundamentally different than the rest of us. Well, the rest of us, I am actually in a long-term relationship, but <laughs> the book was intended and is intended for any woman who feels like she needs help with her sex life. And it's almost every woman, Greta, like mm -hmm. almost everybody, woman I know at some point in their life feels broken. Like they're not normal. They feel like their sex life isn't working. And often they feel like they're not sure what the problem is and they don't know how to fix it. So I try to break things down in a way that makes it really easy for people to fix it. So yeah, you have four categories that you work with that you say essentially every problem falls into. We have pain, orgasm, arousal, and deny and desire. I was going to say yeah, denial. denial. Woo, yeah, that's my whole thing one. right there, huh? Yes, right there you go. <laughs> um, I think pain and orgasm are probably pretty straightforward, at least in terms of like defining terms. Can you describe the difference between arousal and desire? Desire is I don't really want to have sex. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have sex ever, anywhere, anytime, anybody, or I really don't want to have sex with this person, even though I really would like to have sex with a fireman down the block. <laughs> um, so, um, or the Duke from Bridgerton. Speaking of arousal, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's desire. And I think we kind of understand that. But arousal is I don't get turned on. Hmm. I, I maybe want to have sex, but my body doesn't seem to respond. That's arousal. So why it's really important to understand the difference is because 
you can have women who really have good sex. Like they get turned on, they sort of get into it. They have great orgasms and then they still don't want to have sex. And they Mm -hmm. feel like they're crazy. Like there'll be, somebody will say to me, like, I've been in this relationship. I love this person. Nothing's changed dramatically. And the sex is good. And I just don't want to have sex anyway. And it's making them really sad. And it's making me really sad. And I don't know what the problem is. And so that's a desire problem. Right. Somebody who says, like, I really want to have sex with this person. And then I try to get started and nothing happens. So it's so frustrating. That's an arousal mm-hmm. problem. So does that does that kind of make sense as you hear me describe it? Oh, totally. That makes total sense. So tell us a little bit about the sex point system that you figured out. Like, how did you come up with it and and how are people supposed to use it? So here's the story. My argument is, is that you can't look at your sex life like what's broken. Let's fix it. The one thing that's broken, like a binary thing. Let's Mm -hmm. what's the problem. Let's fix it. It's much more like you're constantly getting points from all kinds of parts of your life, like your health and your hormones and your relationship and your life stage and the pandemic. You're getting points. You're losing points. And you need to be able to have this, what I'm calling a hundred point threshold in order to be able to have a good sex life. So the example I can give you is let's take a 19 year old girl called Tammy and she's walking around really good health and with her hormones at a 19 year old level, which is great. And so she has 90 points just by herself and she can have sex, you know, pre pandemic, she could have gone to a bar or wherever, picked up somebody, had great sex in the scuzzy bathroom because she only needed 10 (laughs) points and the sex would have been fine because she only needed, you know, 10 points. Mm -hmm. Then Tammy, now let's say it's five years later and Tammy meets, she meets the Duke from Bridgerton and, um, and she is like, so she falls madly in love and that gives her 30 points and it's hot, new and erotic. And that gives her 30 points. And, um, Tammy is now working at 150 points and she's doing great. So now let's take Tammy five years later. And now she's married to this really hot new guy. So he's not so hot and new anymore, even though she still loves him very much. So now Tammy's at like, I don't know, 120 points and then they have a baby and the baby's knocking on the door. And so now she's at hundred points and she's sort of okay until let's say her hormone drops or she has another child or things get a little rocky in a relationship because Lord knows no relationship's perfect. Mm-hmm. And now Tammy's at 90 and now things aren't working well and she doesn't know what's the matter. And so she goes to a gynecologist, which is where most people start, right? When they're having, and she's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm never interested in sex. And the gynecologist who's lovely and trying to be helpful says, oh, well, Tammy, how was it when you were on vacation? Like when you were in Cancun last year and Tammy Mm -hmm. thinks about it and goes, oh, actually it was pretty good when I was in Cancun. And then the gynecologist says, well, okay, clearly it's psychological. It's not physiological, Tammy, right? Mm -hmm. And that leaves Tammy like in worse shape than she started because now she feels like, well, what am I going to do about that? Like, and then Tammy leaves and that's the end. And that's not helpful, Greta. So what is helpful is for me to sit with Tammy and say, listen, that's great news because that means that with the extra 10 or 20 points of Cancun, you do great. So let's see where else we can realistically get you 10 or 20 points. Like those points can come from lots of different places, Greta. And so what I want women to leave feeling is that they have control over their sex life in a way they may not have felt like they had before. And that's, you know, when I give an example, that's the best example I can give. 
Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things I really love about that. One is the idea that like you don't have to give up. You know, I feel like I have a lot of friends who, you know, are are like new moms, and they're sort of, you know, obviously there are a lot of layers to that too. But they're like, it's like it's fine. I'm not too worried about the sex stuff now. Maybe I will be eventually, but I'm just not gonna deal with it, which like, I think a lot of what you're saying is that you don't have to compromise it. It doesn't have to be the thing that you let go. I think another really great thing about what you're talking about is that it's not just that you're crazy, you know, Yes. which so often seems to be what we're hearing. It's like, well, it's just all in your head. Like if you could just get over yourself or whatever, then it'll be fine, which is like also not particularly helpful. Yeah, just do it. I love it when people say, just do it. Like they wouldn't just do it. Women wouldn't just do it if they could just do it. Like that is exactly. And then, and then people go, you know, women were really good at the self blame game, right? I'm obviously not trying hard enough like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, um, you know, the not to worry thing, I, I, I just need to put a plug in here. I feel like that is, if I could go in and say to people, it's not great to ignore your sex life. When you hit road bumps, it is not great to just say, I'm not going to deal with it. Yes. After you have a baby, there's a million things going on. Totally. I am totally, you know, you got, got a couple months in there, but when you start feeling like you don't want to be thinking about your sex life, because it's sort of, it's like painful to think about it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I, I don't know what to do about it. And it's painful. And I, whatever, I'm just going to shove it to the back of my brain. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to say to you, that is really not a good thing to do because you can fix it. It's not rocket science and you can totally fix it. And the secondary problems that arise when you stop having sex can sometimes be much more complicated than the original problems. So how do we overcome the fact that it feels so salacious to talk about women's pleasure, especially? You know, it's so funny because I often think to myself, like we live in a society that feels totally enmeshed in sex, right? Like, you know, where totally. sex is just totally surrounding yeah. us. And yet, how often are people sitting down and having like real conversations about sex, like real, useful, practical, right. very, very, very rarely. And people are still incredibly uncomfortable with that. And I don't know how we change that. I, I will say to you, this idea that your sex life is static, that is such an unhelpful message. And that I think is part of what makes women get stuck so fast and feel so broken. Because if people were honest and said to you, there are going to be road bumps along the way, and that's fine. And that's normal. And that the more you can approach them and adjust your sex life, the better your sex life will withstand the test of time so that you can keep having sex when you're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80, like that is what a normal sex life is. And if we had real conversations with women about that, I think it just changes our entire perspective of sex. Like it's constantly shifting. And, um, and I think when women can kind of understand that, embrace that, um, and not feel like they're broken or there's something shameful or wrong with them when something needs a shift, I I think that would just change the entire conversation. So yeah, it's like be okay with roadblocks and buy a powerful vibrator. Yes, yes, yes. Well, be okay with roadblocks and one of your solutions may be a very powerful vibrator. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But Sheva, thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. I love being on here. So thank you so much for having me back. I 
am just fucking thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. His name is John McCorder. He's a linguist and English professor at Columbia University. He is the author of many books, including most recently, Nine Nasty Words, English in the Gutter, Then, Now, and Forever. It's all about words like the S word, the C word, the B word, the F word, and the N word. John, welcome. Thank you for having me. God damn. <laughs> so what do you think makes a word nasty? Well, what makes a word nasty is that it is dealing with something that's taboo in society, mm. something that society is hung up on for better or for worse. It used to be about God. And so the old idea that it's wrong to say, oh, my God, mm -hmm. then it's about the body and what comes out of it and what goes into it. And so you can't talk about sex. You can't talk about excretion. And then it becomes slurring groups. And then that sort of thing becomes what's profane. It just depends on where the society is. So on the fun side of the nastiness, why do you think they are? Is it just because they are taboo? I mean, I feel like there's just a certain satisfaction about saying like, well, fuck, you know? <laughs> yes, there is. And I say that several times a day. <laughs> and the reason is that we wish to transgress. And so some people ask, well, why are these they are, they're these words that we can't say? And it's not that. We are going to say them. And that is a tacit agreement. The idea is just that we're going to say them as something that you pop off with after an explosion of some kind because you're angry, because you're trying to seek intimacy, because you're really happy. So they're, they are in the guise of words, but what they really are is gestures. And in English, they tend to be short, one syllable, consonants on both ends. And so to say, hmm. fuck, part of the reason that one has really gotten out there is because it's pleasing to say. It's mm -hmm. almost like a good, good, crisp little piece of candy. <laughs> I took one linguistics class in college, and we were assigned to study the evolution of a word. And I chose cunt. I was delighted by how much it freaked mm. everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> cunt is a tough one because ooh, I said it. Well, even <laughs> even me. That is a you can say it. it's a hard one because it only goes so far back. Nobody is quite sure what a what a coont or kint or something originally was. It just sort of pops up. And at first it's used very neutrally, as I'm sure you discovered. It's just <laughs> basically the word for a vagina. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of goes underground and becomes an evil word. But it used to be that, you know, in, in merry old England, there was Grope Cunt Lane and in more wow. than one town. And that just meant that it was somewhere where you would go find a certain kind of, you know, amusement. And it was called that and not in jokes. It, it was like on the sign. That was the kind of word that it was. And then that changed when the word goes underground. And I, you know, find myself you know, unable to even say it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, speaking of words, certain people definitely should not say um, you devote a whole chapter to the N word, for instance. Obviously, it's been complicated for a while, especially here in mm -hmm. the U.S. What stands out to you about it? Well, it's a really multifarious word because the way black people use it among one another mm -hmm. is a whole different word from how it originated. Right. It originates as a slur. And then because it's a slur, it's processed as kind of an equalizer. And so people start using it to mean buddy. Then that is picked up in a very popular kind of music by white and other non-black guys who grow up listening to this music. Once you get to the point where people are listening to it from when they're eight, as opposed to, you know, suddenly finding there's something called rap when they're 40. <laughs> Once you have the first generation that grows up with it, they identify with it. They think of it as their music. Blackness to them is not exotic. There's a part of them that wishes they were black to some extent. And so they start using the word to mean buddy and get criticized for it, understandably, because when we see somebody non-black using the word, we think of it as being the slur. And so it's a really complicated word. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you've hinted a couple of times at something that I think is really important and interesting, which is the idea of a term that is original, well, maybe not originally derogatory, but at some point becomes derogatory. And a certain group of people kind of picks it up Mm -hmm. and owns it for themselves. I've always thought that was healthy in a way, because it means that ideally, not only do you own it for yourselves, but it should sting a little bit less if somebody calls you that thing, because the word has been taken up, the idea being, yes, we are that. And what are you going to do about it? And so, yeah, it's something that happens throughout human societies. And it's something that happens in many languages. And so the question would be here, why the N-word? did not have that fate. You could have predicted that that's what it was going to be. Hmm. That's what's happened with bitch. That is what people do in societies when a name is aimed at them a lot. They take the word and they refashion it. The idea being that we're going to, if the word's going to exist, we're going to decide how it's used. Right. It's so fascinating. I do have a friend who will not use the word bitch. She just hates it. Right. And that may be a choice that you make, but then there are probably more women where it almost has a positive connotation. Like I mentioned in the book that one of my female friends was mad at some guy. And she said, if he thinks he's going to get away with that, then he picked the wrong bitches to deal with. Mm -hmm. And that was set out of pride. And that's one way of dealing with that word. But you might choose to just discard it completely. I do have a group text called the cunts, I have to admit. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That is a perfect example (laughs) of one way of approaching that word. Yes. you so fucking much well thank you fucking much it's been it's been a fucking pleasure <laughs> all right that's it for today before i let you go i have a couple of important announcements the first one is we have an event coming up this Tuesday, and I would love for you to come. It is the Nerdette Virtual Book Society. We're going to have an indie bookseller there who can give you tailored book recommendations. Plus, we're going to do genre-based breakout rooms so that you can talk about what you're reading now and get more recommendations on what to read next and meet some other Nerdette listeners. I'm super excited about it. I would love for you to come. As I mentioned, it is on Tuesday, June 8th. It's at 7 p.m. Central, and you can get more information if you go to wbez.org slash events. You can keep in touch with us on the internet. We are at Nerdette Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Greta M. Johnson on Instagram and Twitter. And our producer, Isabel Carter, is at Isabel T. Carter on Twitter. Also, we've started adding homework from panelists in the newsletter. If you're into it, make sure you sign up at wbez.org slash AF. This episode was produced by me and Isabel Carter. And our executive producer is Brendan Banasak. See you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.